Watch and listen to the talking news every day at 12 noon and 6 p.m. on Channel 96 Comcast Xfinity and Channel 30 Verizon Fios. You can also be heard Mondays and Tuesdays at 4.30 p.m. and Wednesday at 12.30 p.m. on Channel 9 Xfinity and Channel 29 Fios. Listen anytime on the BMC Podcast Network on SoundCloud and iTunes. Just search for the Belmont Media Podcast Network. And now on to the talking news. Belmont resident named Director of Advancement. The Concord Museum recently announced the appointment of Jennifer Lennox Craig as the new Director of Advancement. Craig came to the museum from the Neshoba Brook School, where she served as a director of planned giving and major gifts since 2017. In her new role, Craig will work closely with museum leadership and oversee all development activities, including annual fund, major gifts, membership, special events, grants, scholarships, and marketing and public relations. My colleagues and I are so pleased that Jennifer will be partnering with us in this transformative moment in the museum's history, said Tom Putnam, Edward W. Kane, Executive Director. She brings to our team a wealth of fundraising experience, a deep understanding of the Concord community, a love of museums, and a concern for others, and issues of social justice that animate our work. Craig has years of experience in all aspects of fundraising, including annual fund, uh, major gifts, campaign endowments, planned giving and grants. At Neshoba Brook School, she developed the campaign roadmap for their ongoing $11 million capital campaign. Prior to Neshoba, uh, Craig served as an assistant head of school for institutional advancement at the Cambridge Friends School and Vice President of Advancement at Andover Newton Theological School. During her tenure at uh, Andover, Craig broke the $1 million mark uh, for fundraising, including the most successful gala in the school's history, which netted $425,000. From 2002 to 2006, Craig served as chairman for the Board of Trustees for the Fenn School, where she supervised major gifts that raised $4.5 million for construction of the new building and an additional $1.5 match challenge for endowment. She also served as a trustee for the Belmont Day School for eight years. I am delighted to join the professional staff at the Concord Museum and look forward to building upon the very successful capital campaign and advancing the new museum experience, said Craig. I have a passion for both museums and history and am eager to contribute to this very unique and special museum. Craig holds an undergraduate degree from Smith College where she graduated magna cum laude. She earned a master's of business at the uh, Harvard Business School, graduating the top 10% of her class. And she has been a lifetime, lifetime resident of the town of Belmont. And now over to my colleague, Claire. Thank you, Bob. Business sells reusable gift wrap to help reduce waste by Joanna Juvelas. The holiday shopping season is now in full swing, 
and two Belmont residents have come up with a way to reduce the amount of gift wrap waste. Cindy Estes and Monica O'Neill recently found wrapped W instead of W, uh, it's spelled R-A-P-T, reusable gift wrap made of fabric. O'Neill said the idea came to her during the holidays in 2017 when she was buying wrapping paper, ribbon, tape, and gift tags for her three children, husband, and large extended family. When she got to the register and was paying what she considered to be an exorbitant bill for her overflowing cart, she said to the cashier, This is such a waste. All I can picture are the bags and bags of garbage on Christmas Day. Do you carry reusable gift wrap? The cashier looked at her and said, No, we don't. But that's a great idea. O'Neill left the store and said to herself, That is a good idea, and I should do it. She consulted with her friend, Estes, about the idea. Estes owns a children's clothing company called Seam and knows all about fabric and design. She thought it was a great idea. She, too, had been bothered by all the waste of wrapping paper. We were spending so much time and money on wrapping paper only to have all that paper thrown in the trash. We learned later in our research that recycling does not really address the problem since much of holiday wrapping paper cannot be recycled due to the dyes and laminates in it. We brainstormed how we would do it and what to call our venture and decided to call our company Wrapped, said O'Neill. While researching prototypes, Estes and O'Neill learned the Japanese have been doing this for centuries. According to O'Neill, furoshiki is a Japanese word for a single sheet of cloth used for wrapping. It was originally used to wrap items bought, brought to the baths. The Japanese used the fabric itself to be the item, to tie the item. With a gift such as a book, all you do is put it on an angle and use the ends to tie it. It's so easy. Fabric also has the advantage of wrapping gifts of many shapes and sizes, said O'Neill. The two women hope their product can help reduce some of the trash that gets dumped into landfills. We think reusable gift wrap can be part of the solution. Our tagline is, your present, our future, said O'Neill. Estes and O'Neill held a launch party for Wrapped on October 30th at Interiology in Watertown, owned by Belmont resident Mark Haddad. Wrapped will also be sold at local pop-ups during the holidays, such as the Vincent Club's Vinique Boutique in Boston, November 21st to the 23rd, Bells and Whistles in Belmont Center on December 5th, and Artifact Home and Garden in Belmont on December 7th. Several stores in the Boston area and beyond are also carrying wrapped, including the Institute of Contemporary Art, Gift Shop in the Seaport, the Clark Art Museum Shop in Williamstown, Boston General Store in Brookline, and Dedham, and Gray Mist in Cambridge. Wrapped comes in different, several different size packages, ranging from $20 to $28. Wrapped reusable gift wrap can be used over and over for a lifetime of giving. Now, over to Max. Thank you, Claire. Rebuilding what was destroyed. Belmont resident shares family's post-Nazi story by John Colas. Imagine, if you will, that within a few days of reading this article, 
You must leave everything behind, move halfway around the world, and start anew. Could you cope? Would you adapt and would you prosper? The history of one Belmont family contains such a chapter. The father of Belmont resident and architect Hans Strauch, Karl Strauch, was forced to flee Germany in 1933 when they became targets of Nazi anti-Semitism. The family was Jewish and their newspaper was openly critical of Adolf Hitler and National Socialists. Gone forever, it seemed, was the respected publishing enterprise, an extensive art collection, and the family residence. The residence, known as the Mosa Palais, was built by Rudolf Mosse in 1881 in Leipziger Plaza, Berlin. Hans's mother Maria fled Hamburg with her parents five years later in 1938. Karl and Maria both settled in a growing Jewish community in Berkeley, California. It was there that they met and were married. At the time, there was no commercial air travel. A person traveled internationally by ship and made plans with others by mailing letters back and forth. The stress and logistical challenge of leaving your home and starting over back then may be hard for people today to fathom. Knowing that his mother had fled Nazi Germany, a young Hans Strauch once asked her, How did you do it? Her reply was simply, We had each other and we had hope. Like many of their generation, Hans's parents did not talk about what came before. They did not want to burden their children with what they had endured. As such, Hans knew very little about his family history. From his parents' perspective, and the relatives that made it to America with them, they were together, their values intact, and they would make a new life for themselves and their children. It was not until the end of the Cold War that history caught up with Hans and his brother Roger. The Mosa Palais had been occupied by the Nazis in the 1930s, and its art collection looted. The building and surrounding area was utterly destroyed during the bombing of Berlin in World War II. The destruction, the Allied division of Berlin in 1945, and the raising of the Berlin Wall in 1961 made the place nearby Potsdamer Platz and Leipziger Platz a desolate no-man's land for almost 50 years. When the Berlin Wall finally came down in 1989, George Mose, Hans's uncle and a renowned historian, connected Hans and Roger to their legacy. An event no less historic than the collapse of the Soviet Union created a prospect for rightful restitution of the land as well as restoration of the family's place in history. As the founder of HDS Architecture in Cambridge, Hans had the opportunity to des design what would become one of the first post-Cold War buildings to open in this former dead zone of Berlin in the 1990s. The building that Hans built is not a recreation of its 19th century namesake. That would be looking back, and the family always moves forward, quote, with hope and each other, unquote. Today, Mosa Palais is a commercial and residential space in service to the city of Berlin. Its first tenants included the European headquarters of the American Jewish Committee. Over to you, Bob. Thank you, Max. Loading Dock in Belmont closes by Joanna K. Uh, Juvalis. Belmont resident Faud Merkarkar, the uh, owner of the Loading Dock at 11 Brighton Street, Belmont, quietly shut down his Mediterranean and Middle Eastern restaurant and store last week. The 3,996-square-foot, two-unit condo is for sale for $2.5 million. 
which includes the restaurant equipment, according to the listing agent Eric Shablabowitz. Merkakar purchased the two condo units on Brighton Street in 2012, Unit 5 in January of 2012 for $900,000, and Unit 6 in June of 2012 for $175,000. According to the Belmont Board of Assessors, it was originally a white hen pantry. From 2012 to 2015, Merkakar invested nearly $1.14 million to renovate the property and transform it into the loading dock, a convenience store and restaurant, according to the Belmont Board of Assessors. Merkakar is one of four applicants for the retail liquor license in 2014 and the only one approved by the select board uh, with the condition that the store no longer sell tobacco products or lottery tickets. Craft beer seller DNL Wine Shop and LC Varieties applications were rejected. The loading dock opened in April of 2015 and added a restaurant in December of 2015. Merkaka wanted to uh, apply for a pouring license for the restaurant, but at the time he was told the business could not hold both a retail and pouring license. In 2016, he asked the town to approve the transfer of his retail license which he purchased from the town for $4,000 to Star Market for $400,000. The select board approved the transfer because the license was not non-transferable. Since then, all liquor licenses are non-transferable, and when a business is sold, the owner needs to reapply for the license to sell or pour alcohol. And now over to Claire. Thank you, Bob. You can't put a price on Christmas. So here we are near Cyber Monday, which now comes on the heels of Small Business Saturday, which follows Black Friday, which came on the heels of Thanksgiving, a day ironically set aside to remind us that the things which matter most in life are not things at all. But try telling that to a kid who comes into the Christmas season with his or her heart set upon receiving that gift every kid must have according to the advertising industry, which invented days like this to lay guilt trips onto overburdened moms and dads. Here's what those hucksters don't want kids to know. Two of this town's greatest athletes came from families of modest means, imbuing them with lifelong values. Larry Bird, speaking to an audience in middle school kids in Boston, quipped, Converse will probably kill me for saying this, but red ball jets were the sneakers I always wore when I was your age. My mom would always get the cheapest ones she could find. Rejects. $9 a pair. Maybe an eyelet ring was missing or a stitch wasn't straight, but that made no difference to me. I thought a pair of red ball jets was a wonderful present. Unquote. They weren't made of leather or endorsed by a star, but they provided Bird with memories that never faded even after he became a spokesman for Converse. Bobby Orr still remembers Hester Green Flash hockey sticks. That was the stick every kid in Canada wanted for Christmas, unquote. He told a youthful audience in West Roxbury. Kids long after he becoming a pitchman for Coho Sticks. Whenever I got my hands on a Hester Green Flash, watch out, but it didn't happen often. 
quote, whatever brands we used, they weren't brand names. I remember going to my first training camp in junior hockey at 14. I broke my stick, and when they went to get me a new one, they asked, what kind of a blade angle do you use? I was so embarrassed. I didn't know what they meant. I didn't know there was a difference. One of the big problems in hockey is that everything's so expensive. The skates I wore when I was your age, we got them in exchanges, and they were perfectly good. I didn't get my first new ones until I was 12, and they were a present from a family friend. And you don't need a $50 stick to play pond hockey either. No one in that room was more grateful for his words than the parents. So, kids, listen to me, okay? Don't be pressuring your parents to buy brand names you don't need. You don't have to spend big money to do well in a sport. All you have to do is love what you're doing. It's an urgently needed message. One will never hear from corporate America, which knows the price of everything and the value of nothing. Now, over to Max. Thanks, Claire. DPW releases holidays recycling trash info by Mary Beth Kalman. There will be five cardboard drop-off events to help make space in your recycling carts on November 23rd, December 14th and 28th, and January 4th and 25th. The cardboard drop-off events will be held, weather permitting, from 9 a.m. to noon at DPW Yard, 37C Street, Belmont. Again, this year, Christmas trees will only be picked up from January 6th to January 17th. Please plan or you will have to hold on to your tree for a year or get rid of it privately. The trees are composted and will be diverted from the waste to energy plant. For a quick list of what to put or not put in your recycling cart, lid must be closed. No ribbons or bows, no plastic packaging or plastic toys, no plastic bags, wrap or film, no batteries, no Christmas lights, no clothes, no food, and no diapers. Plastic for curbside recycling cart. Plastic bottles, jars, jugs, tubs, clean, and nothing over five gallons. Metal for curbside recycling cart. Food and beverage metal cans, tin foil and tin foil containers. Glass for curbside recycling cart. Bottles and jars. There is no market, so you can also put in trash at this time if there's no room in your cart. Cardboard flattened and free of plastic coverings. Paper for curbside recycling cart, wrapping paper and holiday cards, but they cannot have foil or glitter. Over to you, Bob. Thanks, Max. Letters to the editor by Dan Barry, town meeting member, Precinct 1 on Golden Street. In this season of thanks, I think we should all make a point of expressing our gratitude to our Belmont teachers and every other town employee because the town has just moved to balance its budget on their backs. In late August, select board members Roy Epstein, Tom Caputo, and Adam Dash voted to save the town 500000 to 800000 in the fiscal year starting July 1st, 2020, by raising the deductibles, co-pays, and out-of-pocket maximums that our educators, firefighters, DPW workers, and other municipal employees will incur when they seek medical care for themselves and their families. The select board managed to shift these uh, health care costs 
on our employees through a state law that was so biased against them that even their own representative on the panel that ultimately reviewed the matter had to vote in favor of the town's deductible copay proposal because those hikes, though quite significant, were below a certain cap. Factoring in the brand new prescription deductibles, our teachers and other employees will see their deductibles go from $250 to $600 per uh, enrollee and from $750 to $1,200 per family. In addition, while our co-pays will drop, the majority will rise and the out-of-pocket maximum will just about double from $2,000 to $4,000 per employee and from $4,000 to $7,500 per family. For a teacher's aide earning $26,000 a year, or for a DPW employee making $42,000, a $450 jump in the family deductible, higher co-pays, and a $3,500 increase in the family out-of-pocket maximum is a big deal. Because the deductibles and co-pays are going, to, uh, going up so much, the premiums will drop a bit. However, the jump in deductible and copay costs are so large that the average employee will likely end up losing hundreds or for those facing a health crisis, thousands of dollars annually. The town's actions will cause pain. On the November 14 town meeting discussion uh, on this issue, Select Board Member Caputo acknowledged that due to the town's action, some employees, particularly those with higher medical uh, utilization will likely pay more than they have in the past. Select Board Member Caputo also noted on the 14th that the town is facing a deficit of $5 million to $6 million for the next fiscal year. In the run-up to this discussion, several local officials made it clear that the town was hiking deductibles and co-pays, in part to help erase this deficit. These officials have observed that by balancing the budget for the fiscal year beginning July 1, 2020, the town can put off the override vote that would otherwise had to have been held in April 2020 to November of 2020, when a bigger and more progressive electorate is expected to come to the polls. If, like me, you are troubled by the notion of making the people who protect our safety, maintain our infrastructure, and teach our children subsidize through higher medical payments, the expense of running our community and, or like me, you want to the next override to pass. Thank a teacher and a firefighter and any other town employee you see. Each one of them just took a hit for you. And now over to Claire. Thank you, Bob. Council on Aging. The Belmont Council on Aging is located at 266 Beach Street. The Volunteer Driver Program is up and running. We are pleased to announce that the Volunteer Driver Program has commenced and we have already filled many ride requests from seniors. Examples of rides completed include to and from work obligations within Belmont, social commitments and rides to Arlington, Cambridge, Boston, and Brookline for medical appointments. Currently, we have 10 volunteer drivers and hope to expand that number to 30 by this time next year. Are you interested in giving the gift of a lift? There is no obligation. You drive when your schedule allows, and you get to choose which ride you volunteer to fill. Some volunteers will drive once a week, and others will drive once every few months. 
If interested in learning more, please contact Martin Clarity at 617-993-2989. Thank you. And over to Max now. Thanks, Claire. <coughs> Finalists announced for Belmont Police Chief Successor by Joanna K. Juvelis. The Police Chief Screening Committee has completed its duties, naming two finalists who will be presented to the Select Board for interviews at 6 p.m. on Monday, December 9th, which will also air on Belmont Media. Candidates Christopher Donahue and James McIsaac will both be interviewed in an open meeting by the Select Board. Both candidates are currently employees of the Belmont Police Department and both have roots in Belmont. Donahue has been with the department since 1996 and is currently the lieutenant officer in charge, court prosecutor, and traffic supervisor. This is not his first time interviewing for the Belmont Police Chief position. In 2006, Donahue was one of four finalists for the position and was unanimously chosen by the select board on December 18, 2006. However, an agreement could not be reached during contract negotiations. McIsaac has been with the department since 1999 and has been the assistant police chief since July 2012. Copies of Donahue and McIsaac's application materials inclusive of their respective plans for their first 12 months on the job are available at www.belmont-ma.gov. Belmont Police Chief Richard McLaughlin officially retires at the end of this year. As an update, Mc I uh, James McIsaac has in fact been chosen as the next police chief in Belmont. Back to you, Bob. Along with my colleagues, Claire and Max, we thank you for listening to the Talking News and hope you've enjoyed the show. We will return next week for another edition of Local News Happenings Around Belmont.